0: Is it possible, as Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr. once said, to be so heavenly minded that you are no earthly good? It seems to me for most of my life that that adage has been assumed to be correct by most Christians. In fact, it's been used as somewhat of a prod to get back in line those Christians who take their Christian life a little bit too seriously. Because after all, there is your faith, and then there is, well, the rest of your life, the real world. So relax. Don't be so spiritually intense that you're not really any good. See, I believe the adage is absolutely not true. I believe instead that if you are heavenly minded, you will do great earthly good. As a matter of fact, without heaven in view, your personal life will not be nearly as good. Without heaven in view, the impact you will make on others won't be nearly as good. Without heaven in view, you and I won't really be able to do the good things that the Lord has called us to do so that we really make a difference in this place on earth during our lifetime. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes, A continual looking forward to the eternal world is not a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you'll find that Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth Precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. See, we want both, don't we? We want heaven, absolutely. But we should also want heaven for earth. And so we must be heavenly minded so that we will be earthly good. That's what I want us to consider as we come to our passage this morning. Once again, the Gospel of Matthew, the sixth chapter. If you take your Bibles and open with me there. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find that on page 811. Page 811 in the pew Bible. And when you found your place in Matthew chapter 6, if you will stand so we might hear read together the word of the living God. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, Jesus is speaking. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, once again, thank you for your word. In particular, Lord Jesus, thank you for these words in which you have taught us how to pray. Father, teach us what you mean here through this prayer. Show us what it means to be heavenly-minded, for, for heaven to come to earth, and how we need to be part of that, for your glory and for the advancement of your kingdom. So we need you, Spirit of God, to teach us this morning, make your word real and vibrant to us, life-changing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, you may be seated. Well, we've been working our way through the Lord's Prayer. And I've called this prayer a skeleton because Jesus doesn't dictate exactly what we are to pray in these verses. Instead, Jesus is very specific in telling us what He is teaching us here is how to pray. And so Jesus gives us the bones of prayer, the broad categories, the big ideas, so that while you and I are praying together, Or when we're alone, we can stop and contemplate each one of these truths, each one of these concepts. We can put flesh on it. We can fill it out from the truth of the Word of God. Ideas such as Father and hallowed and kingdom and will, all the things we've looked at. This morning then we pause to contemplate heaven and earth And then and the interaction of the two. Jesus says here, on earth as it is in heaven. As we saw a few weeks ago, this phrase can go with each of the first three petitions or requests of the Lord's Prayer. The first request, hallowed be your name on earth as it is in heaven. The second request, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The third request, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Earth, then, what you and I do here, how we live here, how we think here, the way we will our lives here, must in some way reflect heaven. Therefore, if you and I are not heavenly minded, if your mind, Is not on heaven. If my mind is not on heaven, how then will we know how to live rightly here on earth? How to live beautifully? How to live lives that flourish and actually make a difference in this place for Jesus' sake? But here's the question Is Jesus asking the impossible of us here in this prayer? How can you and I know what heaven is like. None of us in this room has ever been on a reconnaissance mission to heaven where we went and checked it out and came back with a full report. Moses, he sent spies into the promised land before they entered that place. And the spies came back with a report, told them all about the promised land, what the people were like there, what the animals, what the vegetation. They knew what their promised land was like before they ever entered it. You and I don't, at least not from seeing it or experiencing it ourselves. But listen, that is by God's design. God can't allow us to see heaven, not fully anyway, because we could not bear to see what takes place there, at least not in the state in which we find ourselves right now. A verse of the hymn, crown him with many crowns, captures the idea. Crown him the Lord of love. Behold his hands inside, rich wounds still visible above, but in beauty glorified. No angel in the sky can fully bear that sight, but downward bends each burning eye at mysteries so bright imagine the angels of heaven dropping their gazes downward at the brightness of the mystery of Jesus at the glory of Jesus God the son bearing wounds his body that he received from human beings on earth we can't begin to imagine the mystery and we can't bear to see heaven Until the Father makes us fit to be there by powerfully and gloriously transforming our bodies. Will you forgive another reference to C.S. Lewis? Say yes. Yes. Have you read his book, The Great Divorce? You know, people who arrive there in heaven from earth, they discover that everything in heaven is harder than on earth. The grass is hard. It hurts their feet when they walk on it. The water is not drinkable. and The the flowers are not pickable. And Lewis says that's because you have to be solider, solider for heaven. See, we think the opposite is true. We think that this life is real. This life is solid. And that somehow heaven is less real and less solid. It's not true. Let me tell you, look at yourself, look around the room. What we actually are is we are wispy. We are shallow compared to heaven. In order to be able to to see heaven, you and I have to take on substance. We have to take on weight, what Scripture calls the weight of glory. Then we'll be fit for heaven. You and I don't understand heaven rightly if we think we could be there. But this is one of those situations where you and I tend to think we know better than God. It's one of those Lord, if only scenarios. Lord, if only I could see, fill in the blank, Jesus, you, heaven. Then, Lord, I would, fill in the blank, believe, obey, serve. That's what we think. That's what we think we need. In the parable Jesus told, if you remember this story, the wicked rich man was in hell. And from his place in hell, he could look from a distance and see heaven. And he could see the beauty of it. And so he speaks over across the divide. And he says this, I beg you, Father Abraham, to send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And the rich man said, no, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Abraham said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Let me just say, you and I don't need a reconnaissance mission. We don't need that. And Jesus does not ask the impossible of us when He tells us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. We do not have to have seen heaven or gotten a report from there because God in His Word gives us glimpses of what heaven is like. In His Word, He has given us what we need to know about heaven so that His name can be hallowed here on earth as it is in heaven, so that His will can be done on earth as it is in heaven, so that His kingdom can come on earth as it is in heaven. So heaven it's a huge topic. And we've got to limit our discussion this morning. But the book of Hebrews makes some beautiful connections between heaven and earth. I want to read a few of those for you. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 5 says that the priests serve a copy and shadow Of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. See, God is very specific in how he wants things ordered and constructed here on earth, because what is done here on earth is a copy, a shadow of what's in heaven. So it's a glimpse for us on earth into heaven. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified by these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered, not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. Now to appear the presence of God on our behalf. Isn't that beautiful to think about that here on earth, God has given us copies. He's given us shadows of things that are really real in heaven. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 says that the law is but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. Copies, shadows. In these ways, God has brought heaven down to earth so that we could experience the things of heaven here on earth so that we could participate in a shadowy way what's real in heaven colossians chapter 2 verse 17 these are a shadow of the things to come but the substance belongs to Christ there's the good news Christ is the substance the realness the fulfillment Of all the things of heaven. And that's why you and I must know Christ. That's why in all things Christ must have the preeminence. What you think is real right now on earth. It's only a shadow without Christ. It's only a vanishing vapor. Each of these shadows mentioned in Hebrews are related to the act of worship in the Old Testament. So we need to think about the the worship of heaven for a moment. And and we've looked at this passage so many times. It's Isaiah chapter 6. That's because it's such a vital passage. It's such a a pivotal passage when it comes to worship and what the worship of heaven is like. So it bears looking at often. I'm going to ask you to turn there, your Old Testament, to Isaiah chapter 6. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's on page 500. In 71, Isaiah chapter 6, page 571 in your pew Bible. Isaiah, of course, is not equipped to experience the real worship of heaven. So what God does instead is he gives Isaiah uh, a vision of what worship is like. He gives him a shadow of of worship in which Isaiah can experience. This worship experience engages all of who Isaiah is, all five of his senses. And so what I want us to do now is to walk through these five senses that God engages in worship. Look in verse 1. The first sense is that of sight. Isaiah writes, I saw... What did Isaiah see? Well, he says, I saw the Lord. So we know right off the bat that the Lord must be the object of our seeing. As we're going to sing just a little bit later, he must be first in our sight. Everything else that Isaiah saw, the angels, the smoke, the temple itself, those things are important. They are a vital part of the worship of heaven, but they are ancillary to the Lord on the throne, and all of them are doing their part to fix the focus of the one who is on the throne. And so it must be with all of our lives, everything in our life, everything we look at, everything we see, should be ancillary to, And those things should work together in our, our lives to allow us to accomplish this main purpose this most important thing of seeing the Lord. In chapter 12 of his gospel, the Apostle John quotes these verses from Isaiah 6. He's describing their people who would not believe in Jesus in spite of seeing his miracles. He talks about those who did believe, but they would not confess their faith in Christ because they were afraid, afraid of the consequences, afraid of what they might lose. And so John writes there, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. I can't explain this, but somehow, in some way, what Isaiah saw in the Old Testament, when he looked on the throne, he saw the Lord, and in some way, in that moment, he was also seeing the glory of Jesus so you and I must fix our eyes on Jesus. Really look at Him. Ponder Him. Consider who He is and all that He has done. Since Christ is the substance of heavenly realities, if you and I will be any earthly good at all, then we must fix our eyes on Christ. He must be first in our sight. Everything else must be secondary, ancillary to the great purpose of seeing Jesus. The second sense, engaged in worship, is a sense of hearing. Look in verse 3. The angels called to one another, and Isaiah heard them. They were saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Please notice, Isaiah wasn't speaking, Isaiah was listening, listening to the sounds of heaven, listening to the words of heaven. Part of things being done on earth as they are done in heaven requires listening. We talk a lot. I talk a lot. And God's people said, I'll forgive you for that. We ask a lot. We don't listen a lot. Because you and I aren't very comfortable with silence. We feel the need, we feel the need to fill all the verbal space. If you're part of a community group, you know how this works, don't you? So the facilitator will ask a question, thinks it's a great question. And if someone doesn't answer that question in a a, a matter of seconds, Awkward silence follows. It's not a contemplative silence, it's an awkward silence. And no one looks up, and no one makes eye contact, and no one wants to speak, and so the leader starts rephrasing the well, you know, I'm really and starts rephrasing the question. But the Lord has things to say to us, not new things that carry the weight of inspiration like Scripture. Though we may be inspired, may we be inspired by what the Lord says to us, but the Lord speaks to us through His Word. Scripture says His Word is alive. It's active. And that's why we sing here, Speak, O Lord, as we come to You to receive the food of Your holy words. The question is, how well do You hear? How well do you listen to the Lord and his word? We need to follow Eli's admonition that he gave to Samuel, the great prophet, when he was still a boy. Eli said, if the Lord comes to you again, this is how you are to respond. Speak, O Lord, for your servant is listening. That should be us. You speak, Lord, and I will listen. Listening speaks to expectation. It speaks to the fact that when we come to the word of the Lord, we do not come to something dry and dusty or irrelevant or a relic from the past. We come listening to something that is alive. And we come actually expecting to hear. Please imagine. Heaven comes to earth when we are eager to hear what the Lord has to say to us, when His Spirit joins His Word. And we are more earthly good to ourselves, and we are more earthly good to everyone else with whom we come into contact, when you and I speak less and listen more to what the Lord has to say to us. The next sense. Engaged in the scene of worship is the sense of smell. Look in verse 4. The entire temple was filled with smoke. Not the kind of choking smoke of a house fire here on earth, but the smoke of the presence of the Lord on earth. The shadow of heavenly things was the altar of incense. And that incense used to create the smoke, had a very specific formula that produced a very specific smell. We could call it the smell of heaven. Exodus 30, the Lord said to Moses, Gather fragrant spices, resin droplets, mollusk shell, and galbanum, whatever that is, And mix these fragrant spices with pure frankincense. Using the usual techniques of the incense maker, blend the spices together and sprinkle them with salt to produce a pure and holy incense. Grind some of the mixture into a very fine powder and put it in front of the Ark of the Covenant where I will meet with you. The presence of the Lord in the tabernacle. You must treat this incense as most holy. Never use this formula to make incense for yourselves. It is reserved for the Lord, and you must treat it as holy. Anyone who makes incense like this for personal use will be cut off from the community. There is a very specific smell of heaven. And on the Day of Atonement... The only day that the high priest was ever allowed into the Holy of Holies, the priest was to take burning coals from the altar. And with those burning coals before the altar, he was to take two hands full of sweet incense, and he was to put the incense on the burning coals, and the cloud of smoke created from that burning incense would cover the mercy seat so that the priest would not die. And so the smoke covered the mercy seat, the place where God dwelled on earth, reminding us that even the high priest could not fully see the presence of the Lord. There is a smell associated with heaven, and it is the smell of holiness. It was in the moment that the smoke filled the temple that Isaiah cried out, Woe is me! I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And so the smoke and the smell from the fire reminds us that we cannot look on the holiness of God at least not in our sin. The smell reminds us that sin must be atoned for. And so therefore, it's also the smell of life. Second Corinthians 2, verse 14 through 16. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God. Among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death. To the other a fragrance from life to life. And So just as in the Old Testament the incense was a smell pleasing to God. Just as the sacrifice of Christ was acceptable to him, so now the smell of his sacrifice lives in us. You and I complete the heavenly realities. When you and I share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's how you and I will be any earthly good. Recognizing that you and I have a fragrance about us, and it's the fragrance of life, the fragrance of life in Christ. And so the best thing that you and I can do is offer to the world these life-giving good news words of the gospel. True life, eternal life, heaven life found through faith in Christ alone. What a hope and inspiration and motivation we have in the words of the prophet Malachi. Who says, from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. The fragrance of life. The final sense, senses, taste and touch. Look in verse 7. We read there that the angel flew with a burning coal to Isaiah and touched his mouth. In this moment, Isaiah has a personal experience with the Lord. Isaiah was no longer just a detached observer of worship. Isaiah, with all of his particular needs, was drawn into the worship experience. The coal touched him. His lips touched. Tasted the coal, and what he tasted was the taste of forgiveness because the angel said to Isaiah, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. Sometimes I think we are more often detached observers of worship than those who are drawn into a very deep and a very personal experience with the Lord. You and I are good at objectifying. We know the truth, but too often we experience it in a detached way. And that's why the Lord's Supper, it's so amazing when the bread touches our lips when the cup touches our lips, when we taste, we experience in a very real, personal way that our sin, your sin, my sin, they have been forgiven. Is that good news? We experience again Jesus giving his body And blood to pay the price for our sin, your sin, my sin. He has atoned for them. And so we say with David, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't stand far off. Don't fear drawing near whatever fears you might have. Don't fear the very personal experience, the emotions, the feelings. The Lord has For you, taste and see, experience for yourself that the Lord is good. These are some of the things of heaven. In this one brief passage, we could dwell on so many more heavenly realities. And the more we dwell on the realities of heaven, the more they change us, and the more heaven comes to earth. I have two reasons, and they are so fast, don't worry. Two reasons for focusing on this one glimpse of heaven and noting how God has engaged all five senses in them. And the first reason is this. So that you and I will have an awareness of the wholeness of who we are. And the wholeness of who we are has got to be impacted by the realities of heaven. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says i appeal to you i appeal to you by the mercies of god present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god which is your spiritual worship our bodies your body and mine they are the instrument by which you and i experience life everything we experience We experience through our bodies, and all of our bodies in their totality belong on the altar as sacrifices to God. Nothing is excluded. We have the tendency in our lives to compartmentalize our faith. Often we reduce our faith to our minds. We focus on propositional truths as well we should. But we are more than just a walking mind in all of our lives. Not just what we think, but in all we experience, the realities of heaven should be before us. Because all of our life is an act of worship, a sacrifice on the altar to God. You and I move through this world, all of it, as worshipers. Not just as a mind that has encountered truth or little worship on a Sunday morning. We have to see all of life in light of our relationship with God. And the more holistic you and I are as we move through this world, the more the will of God will be done here on earth because we are always asking, what is the reality of heaven? Of which what I am seeing right now and smelling and hearing, and tasting and touching. What is the heaven reality, heavenly reality of which these are only shadows? How will what I'm experiencing right now in this moment, what I'm seeing and tasting and touching and smelling and hearing, how is it going to be redeemed by God? How is it going to be made perfect when heaven does come down to earth at the return of Christ on that day when there will be a new heaven and a new earth and all of this, including all of our senses, will be redeemed? What are the shadows? What are the realities? The second reason for the focus this morning is this. When all of our senses have been engaged, all of them, When all of our lives have been offered on the sacrifice, altar of sacrifice, you and I become people of mission. After Isaiah experienced all that he experienced in the worship of heaven, after seeing what he saw and hearing what he heard and smelling what he smelled and and tasting and touching all that, the Lord asks him, and you can look here for yourself, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah responds, Here I am! Exclamation point in my Bible. Here I am. Send me. Isaiah knew the world in which he'd lived. He'd already described it. He knew his culture. I live right in the midst of people of unclean lips. I was one of them. But after experiencing all that he experienced with all of his senses, then... Isaiah was ready to say yes to the Lord, to go for the Lord, to go to people who needed the Lord, to speak the truth of the Lord to them and to live the truth of the Lord before their eyes. He was ready, he was willing, because everything he experienced with all of his senses made him willing and ready and eager. To be on mission for the Lord. May that be true of every one of us in this room. As individuals and together as a church body. As the Lord engages all of our senses. In all of our lives. Then it will be true. That we will be so heavenly minded. That we will be of tremendous earthly good. While we wait on the return of the Lord, let's pray together. Oh in heaven, thank you. again, for your word, thank you for all the glimpses of heaven that we see in your word, things that you want us to know, all we really need to know, Lord. And we've only looked at a fraction of it this morning. But Lord, your word is alive, it's active, it's powerful as is your spirit. So Lord, take these truths that we've heard today and make them real for us. Lord, how beautiful the worship of Isaiah, where all of his senses were engaged. Lord, help us to walk through this world as worshipers, engaging all of who we are, looking for the realities of heaven on earth, anticipating the things that we see and smell, all those things before us, how you are going to redeem them, Lord. Give us eyes to see that and hope. Lord, help us move through this world as the aroma of Christ. Lord, we want people to smell life when they encounter us because your life is within us. And so make us faithful, Lord, to speak the good words, the, new, of, of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Life now, life forever in heaven through faith in you. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you take your bullets and you'll find the last song printed there. Let's stand together as we sing, Be Thou My Vision.